Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome again to the Fight Network Wednesday edition of Sports Conversation. I'm Don Henderson. We've got a great group of uh, correspondents around the country to talk about the leading sports stories of this particular week. We hope that you'll enjoy the show as we go along. 
Roy Cummings, as always, is in Tampa, Florida. He'll cover the Bucks, the Lightning, the Rays, whatever else may be happening in Tampa, Florida. Sonny Hill will be joining us from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as the NBC, NBA season begins. And, of course, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers in the transition period. Also, the New Jersey Nets will be down. Well, they're not the New Jersey Nets. They're now the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, we'll be talking about Simmons and what his contribution is going to be with the Brooklyn Nets, with the 76ers uh, playing today. And, of course, uh, uh, that's going to be a, a game in the, in the uh, uh Brooklyn Nets are playing in Miami, the last exhibition game before starting the season. Well, Schulte will join us uh, from the Real Quest Bowl, and he's going to chat about what's happening on the football front from a college standpoint. A lot of things going on tonight. But first of all, our executive producer, Frank Carroll, who always takes care of business, uh, runs the show for us. And, uh, Frank, have you got any dedications tonight, or are we going right into the action? No, sadly enough, uh, we do have another dedication this week, uh, on Friday evening, two uh, young men left their house and their families and uh, went to work at the Philadelphia airport, which is a detail that is it, absolutely, it's usually what they call a retirement detail. As they walked into uh, Terminal D, they noticed uh, kids breaking into cars. So they yelled at them, uh, of which the one person turned and shot uh, Officer uh, Mendez in the, between the eyes. Uh, his partner, uh, return fire officer Raul uh, Ortiz, return fire. Uh, they jumped in a car and got out, but Raul was uh, admitted to uh, Thomas Jefferson Hospital with uh, gunshot wounds and is expected to uh, uh, survive. But to the Mendez family, to the brothers in blue in Philadelphia, um, we our deepest sympathies go out to you. I want to say one thing about the people of Philadelphia. When it comes to something like this, they respond. The uh, reward that the uh, FOP put up was $10,000. The city put up $50,000. And citizens from within the Philadelphia Delaware Valley area grew that thing to $278,000. Uh, all three of the assailants that uh, had left the parking lot are now sitting in the uh, Philadelphia uh, jail. So uh, uh, to those who gave to the thing, thank you very much. We appreciate your support. Um, for those who are thinking about going into the job, don't let this back you off. There are a lot of jobs out there. There's some districts are rolling with just two cars on the road. Uh, and that's not uh, that's not good. The Pennsylvania police have uh, stretched themselves into the city to help out. So um, uh, to uh, all those involved, again, uh, our, you know that our hearts and thoughts are with you. All right, Frank, you're exactly right. No question about that. And as the baseball championship series continue, uh, I don't know if Roger is in with us or not yet. Uh, I would start I'm in Philadelphia. Here. Okay, we'll start off in Philly quickly on the ball game. Uh, last night it was a, a ball game we talked about earlier today, 10 nothing. Uh, right now the Phillies are doing everything you can possibly do right. 14 home runs, setting a record uh, for a number of home runs in playoff competition. They're doing everything you can do defensively, offensively, base running. It's, it's been a terrific series for Philadelphia. Roger, you've been there. 
Give us a quick note before we go over to the America League Championship Series. Well, I agree. How they get to Arizona, you know, we have temperatures and the roof loose. already, already, but the Oh, hold hold on, hold on, Roger, because you're 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 breaking up. Hold on, we're we're breaking up. We'll let you get into another location, and we'll run over to Tampa, Florida, and uh, talk a little bit uh, as we always do with Roy Cummings. Roy, uh, I'll let you touch the American League Championship Series before we go to something else. Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, you know, Texas is uh, playing at an extremely high level, uh, much like the Phillies. And, uh, you know, we're starting to look at this thing as if it could be over, you know, rather quickly and that uh, we'll be into the World Series uh, before we know it. But, um, you know, so that's quite quite possible, the way both teams are playing. Um, you know, we'll see what uh, Max Scherzer brings tonight for Texas. Uh, but uh, Houston, you know, surprisingly uh, for a team that, you know, get you know, won the division you know they didn't they were uh they didn't win at home this year and so maybe they're better on the road but i don't know if they're going to be better than texas texas has just got all the momentum going their way right now and um you know it's just amazing to me how uh how well they they have played especially the rookie evan carter i mean that kid has become a star uh right before our eyes here in these uh in the playoffs and so, uh, you know, Texas is getting, you know, its bullpen is holding up. That was the big concern was could the bullpen hold up if they got past the starting pitchers. Um, so far it has. Uh, LeClerc has been tremendous, um, you know, and he's not a traditional closer. I mean, it's it's something he's done, but he has, doesn't do it a lot. Um, and uh, so, so they're kind of, you know, feeling out, you know, feel, feeling him out for that role. And right now he's just looked great. I mean, devastating slider and, uh, uh, when you can throw it a uh, hundred miles an hour and then bring a slider in there at 86, you're just you're going to have a big advantage over some hitters. So um, everything going to Texas's way right now, just as it's going uh, the Phillies' way in the National League series. And uh, look, if it gets down to that, it'll be a great uh, matchup again. And you know, I just marvel at the way Philadelphia has played here in the playoffs. You know, they they just kind of they seem to muddle through the regular season. Um, it's almost as if they know when to turn it on. And, uh, and I know they're not seasoned as, you know, as playoff teams just yet. They're, get, they're getting there. But, but it's not like they can just, you know, they can just flip a switch. But it almost seems like that's what they do. They get to the playoffs, they get to October, and this team just has a different personality about it. So, um, and, and it's a killer personality. I mean, they really just, just go for the jugular. And uh, they've done it exceptionally well. I mean, look, these are not – you know, slugs for pitches that they're going up against. Merrill Kelly is as uh, solid a starter as there is. Zach Gallon's good. Uh, you know, Joe Mantiply, who they, they got to last night, they got in, you know, they got him in a, what it was a favorable situation for the Phillies, uh, him facing a bunch of righties instead of just a lefty. But, uh, uh, you know, still a, a very good reliever. And uh, the, the Phillies have just, they've just been too strong. Now, maybe it changes when you get to Arizona. We'll see. But uh, right now, Obviously, Texasville and the Phillies are uh, just look like they're headed for uh, uh, a head-to-head matchup in the World Series. Well, the biggest story so far has been Dusty and Bochy. I mean, both senior citizens, both coming on late to take on these two teams. Uh, Dusty, for a reason, trying to reorganize the team after a, a little bit of a scandal. And Bochy, after taking three years off, winning uh, a number of pennants at other cities, including San Francisco. 
the two of them between, what, 67 and 71, they've been the story. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, look, two of the greatest managers ever. Uh, both of them are Hall of Fame managers, in my opinion. Um, you know, both were good, solid players, too. Dusty Baker a little, probably a little bit better than uh, Cruz Boshi as a player. But, look, look they, you know, they've got pedigree. And, uh, and as managers, they've just been exceptional. I mean, it's hard not to root for Bruce Boshi. He's always been one of the better managers in the game since he took, went into that realm. And the same with Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker just, you know, it, it seemed like he always had a team that was just good enough not to get there, you know, and just good enough not to go too deep into the playoffs. And uh, here he is finally with a team that is good enough to go to deep in the playoffs. You know, I'm still not a fan of what uh, what happened. And, you know, the reason Dusty Baker is there still, I think, uh, rings a sour note uh, with a lot of baseball fans, uh, what happened in Houston. But, um, look, at the end of the day, <laughs> Dusty Baker is – he's uh, he's Major League Baseball royalty. And I, I think Bruce Boshi is the same thing. So, uh, you know, again, that's, that's something that makes that matchup uh, – even more intriguing is the fact that you got two tremendous uh, managers there, two guys who've always done it right and uh, are just, you know, the kind of guys that you, you want to build, you know, they're the kind of guys you want to lead your team, no doubt. And also Dusty sort of cleaned everything up in Houston, uh, their bad taste in the mouth of so many baseball fans, not only Houston, but around the country. And that was one of the reasons he was brought in because of his personality, his ability to, uh, regenerate the ball club and regenerate the interest around the city of Houston and even more, uh, more importantly, uh, reestablish the team uh, as a team that doesn't cheat, doesn't do anything but play the game the way it's supposed to play. Now, Roger, let's get back to you in Philadelphia because, boy, you talk about a one-way street. You and I are seeing it every night. Well, we are. I hope that I'm not breaking up now because I'm right next to the window. So, uh, I hope everything's good. But, um, yeah, it, it's been surprising. Like I said earlier, uh, I think it's going to uh, – I mean, they could either turn it around or they may not, not turn it around. But uh, I, we'll, we'll know uh, probably tomorrow night uh, whether this is going to be short series or uh, whether Arizona will respond to uh, the series could possibly come back the Philadelphia, but there's no doubt about it. Uh, the fans are key. And, uh, the, the uh, uh, you know, I was talking to a, a, a friend today in school uh, that he asked me about the Braves and they and whether they get the fans get hyped up. I think the Braves did an awful marketing job. I think it were in the world playoffs. There was no rally cows. There was nothing like that that really advanced because I they thought this, they were going to run away with it. So I may be wrong the way I looked at that situation. Roger, you're still breaking up a bit, so we'll give you a chance to re- relocate once again. And, I, don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I can go, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, so anyway, uh, we'll give it a, a try, but I, I don't know. So. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Uh, in sections. Uh, let's get back to Roy for a minute uh, in Tampa, Florida, because he does cover the Bucks. He covers the Lightning. He covers the Rays. And right now, uh, the Bucks, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, uh, have been a little bit of a surprise, although not to you, Roy. You thought that they had a shot to get out of the gate in relatively good form, and that's exactly what they did. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought, look, I thought all along that the Buccaneers were the better team, the best team in the division, in their division, which, you know, rightfully so, it is It is a weak division. There's nothing, there's no great strength there. There's nobody that uh, that really scares you. Um, but if there is a team that could scare you, it's, it's Tampa Bay, and it all depends on how well Baker Mayfield plays. And, uh, you know, but we are starting to see some, you know, some, some chinks in the armor for sure. And um, because, again, they struggled to, they're struggling to run the ball, which they're going to have to do eventually if they want to continue to win consistently. And they've got to, you know, once again, much like they did against the Eagles, uh, they showed that they have this propensity at times, you know, to struggle to stop the run. That's, that used to be one of their strengths, or it has been over the past, you know, few years. But, um, boy, against uh, the, the Lions last week, a lot of big chunk plays given up in the run game. Uh, you really can't do that. It's a, those are backbreakers for your defense. Um, and it, it just, you know, it allows uh, opposing offenses to stay on the field, which wears down the defense, uh, keeps your offense off the field. And when you've got a dynamic offense, or at least the potential for one like the Bucks do, um, that hurts you. And, you know, if you put all that together with a day where Baker Mayfield's just not quite on his game, uh, where maybe there's just a, you know, a little bit, uh, it's just not, you know, everything's not, not cohesive the way you want it to be. Yeah, you see a result the way that you know that we saw the other night or yesterday, last Sunday rather, with uh, with the Bucks. So, uh, look, I, I thought going into that line, game against the Lions that that was more of a measuring stick than their their game against the Eagles. I thought that was going to really tell us where the Bucks are because I think it was you know to me it's it's two teams that are kind of in the same place. Um, you know, despite the fact that the Bucks have been to the Super Bowl and been to the playoffs, um, it's a different group right now. Play, you know, there's a lot of changes have been made. And they've got to kind of reestablish themselves again as, as, you know, playoff contenders, not pretenders. And I think it's the same with the, the Lions. Um, but the Lions right now uh, are showing that they are – they're for real. Uh, and also in a, in a weak division. But, you know, against Tampa, I don't think Tampa – you know, Tampa to me just continues to look like a team that is capable of beating the weaker teams that they face, but maybe not good enough to face – the better teams that they face. And, you know, and again, that, that could win you eight, nine, ten games in a 17-game season. So I still think they get to the playoffs. I still think they win the division. Uh, but they've got some things they got to clean up, uh, particularly in the run game and on the defensive side of the ball as well. And also, uh, you know, the modus operandi of the team, the head coach is the defensive man. Uh, every place that he's gone, he's been the one uh, all the way back in the Temple days when uh, I first knew him. Uh, you know, he grew up as a defensive coordinator, as a head coach, uh, and you're a little surprised when the defense gives in a little bit. Yeah, you are, especially against the run. Uh, now, last week, a lot of it was just missed assignments. You can, I guess to some degree, some people would would agree with this, that, you know, maybe it's a, a matter of coming off the bye. But, you know, Todd Bowles said, look, yeah, you can be a little bit rusty, but it doesn't mean you miss assignments. You know, you really shouldn't. I mean, you can be a little bit rusty physically, but you should be sharp mentally uh, coming off a bye. And, and the Bucks just weren't. Um, a lot of misses, uh, misses in coverage, miss, you know, missed uh, assignments in the run game, uh, you know, poor tackling again. Again, these are things that can all be cleaned up, and I, and I think they will be, especially on the defensive side. But uh, with the running game, uh, you know, the offensive running game, I'm still a little concerned there. Again, at best, you know, in, in, a, in 60 minutes we see – you know, maybe two, three flashes of uh, what the running game, you know, what they need it to be, uh, not what it needs to, what not what it is. And um, that's just not enough. You can't develop any consistency that way. And uh, at some point, 
you know, teams are going to really figure that out, and the pressure is going to become greater on, uh, on, uh, on, on Baker Mayfield. And I think he's up to it. But, look, any quarterback who's uh, got the, you know, who's facing the defense and knows exactly what he's going to be doing uh, is going to have an edge. So, uh, or he's going to be in trouble against that defense. So uh, the Bucks have got to figure out this rush game. And if they can do that, or if they, you know, and if they can't do that, they got to figure out a way to distribute the ball a little bit. Uh, they tried it last week with the screen passes, but uh, I think the Lions saw it coming because they got in there and knocked a couple of those down. So, um, as I said, the Bucks have some work to do, but uh, I still think they're a team to watch in the NFC, no doubt about that. I don't think they're good enough to go deep in the playoffs uh, because, you know, until they prove they, they resolve some of these issues that I've talked about. But uh, I think they're good enough to get there and probably win the division. Well, we switch over to the National Hockey League. You've been there in Tampa since the lady moved in. And uh, they don't have a history necessarily of getting off slowly. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see, <clears throat> excuse me, whether the lady can uh, bounce back from last year, uh, not quite getting as far as they wanted to get. Uh, a new season, some new players, but primarily the same team. Your thoughts on the Lightning? Well, guys, uh, I think that we are in a period with the Lightning where we are going to find out just how good a coach John Cooper is. You know, I think we're finding out in a lot of ways just how good of a coach Bill Belichick is. You know, <laughs> it's real easy to win when you've got the greatest quarterback in the history of the game under center for you. Um, you can make a lot of, you know, you can do a lot of things. When that guy's bailing you out, and I'm, and I'm, I don't mean that in a negative way, but when that guy's, you know, hitting the mark every time the way he always did, um, you look pretty darn good as a coach. And in hockey, when you've got a goalie like Andre Vasilevsky, where you can change your offensive approach, where you can take chances in the other team's end, where you can get your defenseman to pinch in a little bit and they get caught, and you can get up an odd man rush the other way, but your goalie bails you out, you look darn good as a coach. And you look really good as a coach when you got, you know, Hall of Famers like Steven Stamkos and Kucherov and, you know, on your team as well. And, and, you know, and there are challenges to that. But when you take those pieces away, and your goaltending becomes ordinary, which is what it is right now for the Lightning, and your offense becomes ordinary because Stamkos isn't there, and this team is really – I mean, they look lost right now. When you take all that away, you find out just how good of a coach you are. John Cooper, take this group that he's got now with an ordinary goaltender or ordinary goaltending, and right now just kind of adequate offensive uh, – Ability, although it's it's more than that, but it's you know they they are missing some guys. Let's let's face it, some of the key chemistry guys, you know they've lost, uh, and this happened to the Blackhawks too. You know when they won a couple of cups there with Taves and uh, and Kane, you know they slowly took away some of the some of the real key pieces because they just couldn't afford to hold on to them. So and it's happened in Tampa too. You know they've lost Andre Pollat, they've lost Alex Kalorn now. They lost out, uh, Yanni Gord, um, you know, uh, Sh- Kevin Shattenkirk. Uh, you take those pieces away, and even if you're replacing with good, solid players, which they have, um, there's just it's a chemistry thing. And I just think that right now we are seeing it. This is a period where I think we are going to find out just how good of a coach John Cooper really is. If he can somehow turn this group into a – 
into a playoff contender because they aren't right now. They don't look anything like a playoff contender. As I said, they look lost offensively. The goaltending is ordinary. The defense is adequate. If he can figure out a way to turn this group into a contender that can beat anybody on the ice at any time, that'll prove him to be the coach that I think we always thought he was. But if he doesn't, he might just go down as a guy that was great as long as he had the greatest goaltender in the in the league, you know, backing him up and bailing him out every night. Right. Roger, back you with have, uh, Yeah, I'm here. I hope okay. it's nice and clear now. Okay. That's better, much better. Well, well I go went back to, to baseball my, I, with you, Roger, because uh, what was the turnaround for the Phillies? You you, you saw it during the regular season games where they strike out 12, 13 times, leave runners on base, play poor defensively. This looks like the an unbelievable team the last five or six games. Well, yeah, but, you know, they really turned it around uh, when the uh, fans gave Trey Turner a standing ovation when he was down in the dumps. And that was the beginning of August, and that was the turnaround. And you can go back and and look at it. Uh, The last three months of the season, they were really doing well. And, uh, And I think, like Roy, like you said, they seem to be able to turn it on like last year. And uh, the, uh, they have a group, as David Dombrowski says, this team is built to win. And uh, I think the fans have a, a major impact. They came back last year uh, to support the team. Uh, they drew over $3 million this year. Uh, they do a, a fantastic marketing job. Uh, I could have gone, uh, I guess it was the, the night before last, but the thing is, it t- takes you an hour to get out of the parking lot, and by the time you get home, and last night would have been a lot worse because the game uh, went uh, well after 11 o'clock. Don and I were already sound asleep because of our uh, our need for sleep. But, you know, I think they, uh, they started making the move. And, uh, Roy, I did want to just follow up with uh, a point that you made about uh, John Cooper and Bill Belichick. Uh, your buddy Ira uh, Roger, was doing Roger, his weekly. Hold that, Roger, hold that comment a minute. I got to get him back on. Oh, okay, okay. Don. In the meantime, we have Sonny in the in waiting. Oh, okay. You're, oh, we're all finished with this uh, first segment. What, what? We lost we're Roy. To finish up his set. Oh, we lost Roy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, we'll go to. Well, we were talking basketball Play earlier. Anyway, let's get let's go to basketball and Sunny uh, well, <clears throat> Hill. First of all, very very glad to have you all once again. We got the lines all cleared up. We couldn't work with that last week or two weeks ago. And uh, first question is: uh, You saw the uh, Brooklyn Nets play the Seventy Sixers last night. Two questions: How did Simmons look to you? Even though they had in the game what twenty seven turnovers and eight were by Simmons himself. Uh, some of your thoughts on uh, the rebuilding of the New Jersey Nets. And secondly, how's the roster for the 76ers? Because they've got players that don't want to play with them. So well, let's go in those two areas first. Go to it. Well, let's, let's talk about the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. I think what they're trying to do is to come up with a core group that they can operate from and then uh, add some players that they have on to it in order – help them to have a foundation. Right now, the Brooklyn Nets have a foundation. They're like uh, looking for the players that uh, they'll build on and then go from there. 
How do you think Simmons' uh, recovery has been three years now? He, he's uh, uh, getting a lot of ache during the, the exhibition season and just before. It seems like he's healthier both mentally and physically. Uh, your thoughts? Because you know him well. Well, we had him here in Philadelphia. I was fortunate enough to be close to him and his family. And uh, I think that in his particular case, until we see him shoot a shot outside, there's always going to be a question mark. And when I say shooting a shot outside, I'm not talking about shooting a shot and making a shot. I mean just the fact that you're willing to take a shot outside will help to uh, give him some additional confidence and also his teammates and his coach in reference to uh, where his game is or where his game isn't to see him just do what he was doing here in Philadelphia, but not at the same level with Brooklyn, does not prove to me that he's he's prepared to take the next step. Roger, are you so, there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I wanted to ask Don't you it. because yeah, we talked uh, last week with uh, Ira Kaufman, uh, who's a big has been a big Seventy Sixers fan for many years. You know, even though okay. you know, he's from Brooklyn, and you know him. And he was saying that James Harden has to go. What's your opinion about that? I think that's a team decision. That's something that's going to be handled uh, between Harding and Morley. And until that is resolved, that's going to be a heavy question mark over the 76ers, particularly when you talk about a new coach and uh, his philosophy appears to be one of, getting everybody involved, ball movement, person movement, opposed to Harding, stagnation in terms of his style, and not getting everybody else involved. And when they are involved, it's like the last two or three seconds on the clock, and uh, you have to have outstanding shooters around Joel Embiid in order to make sure that the teams can't double and even triple him so you're looking at all those things. Let's see how it works out. Mm. Roger? Well, I, I love uh, Tyrese Maxey. And uh, I'll tell you, they, I've seen uh, some uh, kids in middle school, young players, and uh, they remind me of him. And one when I was living down in uh, Georgia, uh, he is in uh, high school now. And when I mentioned that to him, he says, oh, yeah. He says, that's what the players on the team. And this was an eighth grader last year. But he was a tremendous young man. Jalen Ivey was his name. But whenever I'd see him in the hall, I would say, my man Moxie. And Mm -hmm. he would just uh, light up, you know. It was really uh, wonderful. Fine young man. Well, Maxie is a, a budding star in this league. But you can't I agree. really allow him to blossom until we find out is Harding going to still be here. And if Harding is still going to be here, Harding is most effective when he has the ball in his hand. So that limits other individuals because by the time he dribbles the ball and now if he can't make a shot and he can't pass the ball to Joel, he's passing a bailout shot with two or three seconds on the clock, they had to have those kind of shooters around a big player, an inside player. Uh, That's the kind of thing that you have to look at. 
Sonny, yeah. uh, the difficulty in my mind is uh, you, you, mm-hmm. you got a player that's making an awful lot of money, and it is so difficult in my mind, uh, I don't say impossible, but so difficult in my mind to get him to go someplace else uh, without picking up a big portion of that money yourself. And, of course, the, the other team agreed to the contract. Uh, you know, it, it puts you in a situation for the first maybe third of the season before you can get regular, before you can have your regular team on the floor. Well, that's going to be a big problem until the 76ers are going to resolve one way or another whether Harding's going to be there or not. Uh, indication right now is that he's missed uh, practices. Um, will he be ready to have the last preseason game on Friday? And then the season opens up next week. So the person that's really in the dilemma is Coach Nick Nurse. Because mm-hmm. what, what style of play are you going to be able to play if you have Maxi? then that's one style. If you have Harding, that's another style. How does it fit with Joel in terms of him coming off an MVP season and expecting to be able to play at an even higher level than he played last year with the experience that he's gained and the fact that the league itself, and, Don, you can identify with this. You're an older guy like me. There are no basic insides anymore. No. So he's the only one. He's the last of what we might want to refer to as the dinosaurs of the players in the past where they played inside and were able to dominate physically, offensively, and sometimes defensively. That player is no longer the prototype. We got more seven-footers than ever in the league but we have less inside because the game is going to an outside game in as opposed to an inside game out. No question about it. And uh, uh, very difficult in my mind to make that transition. I, I like the way they moved the ball around got it inside, inside out passing. So many good things that happened. And, of course, we saw some of the great centers of all time playing in Philadelphia. And, uh, Roger, I'll, I'll let you jump the neck with the next question. Yeah, well, the uh, I, I agree, Sonny. And, you know, when mm-hmm. I talk to uh, young people that are big NBA fans and they say, oh, mm-hmm. you know, Wilt could never make it today. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, oh, you're right. I laugh. I laugh. Believe me. And, and I tell them, I said, do you, do you have you looked at the history of the NBA to see the centers that he went up against? Willis Reed, Bill Russell, Walt Bellamy. Okay, I mean, you know, a, a, you know, a whole cadre of great inside big men uh, that uh, Wilt was playing against, and you know, and and Clyde Lavelle and a lot of roughhousing, Jim Muscatov, you know, those guys. But uh, I'll tell you, it's amazing what the kids' perception is today. But you and I know never a better player than Wilt. Well, the first thing you start off with, athletes. Of the modern era, as great an athlete as Wilt. That's right. the first thing you nope. have to say. Yeah. Wilt was a first-class athlete who was a basketball player. Right. Is there anybody in the history of the NBA 
physically stronger than Will Chamberlain? Answer is no. No. Is there anybody in the history of the NBA that had the stamina that he had? Lifetime, 46 minutes per game. When he scored the season, when he averaged 50, and he also had 100 points in the game, he averaged over 48 minutes that season. And the reason was he played every minute of every game, and he played overtime. So he Mm -hmm. he averaged that season over 48 minutes a game. The game's only 48 minutes. So when you look at the things that you would want to present, he would be greater today. I grew up with Will. So I'm, I know, I know what yeah. I'm talking about. Okay? Yeah. I've known Will since we were about 12 years old playing the old Baptist Church League. And then in <laughs> high school and playgrounds and rec centers. And, you know, we, we had an intimate relationship, not a friendship, an intimate a relationship. No, it could be brotherhood. It could be that. But anyhow, when I'm speaking, I want people to understand this. 87 years old. I grew up with the Philadelphia Warriors with Eddie Gottlieb, the mogul, the man that helped to build the NBA. That's right. I've, I've been a part of the history of NBA from 1945-46 when the league was first formed. I've seen all of the great players over the decades. And so when I speak, I speak of knowledge, and I speak of when other players refer to Wilt. They genuflect. You say, well, why do they genuflect, Sonny? Because when Wilt came into the league in 1959-60, there was only three players making $20,000 a season, Elgin Baylor, Bob Cousy, and Bob Pettit. Wilt's first year in the NBA, he made over $75,000. Wilt was always the highest-paid player of his era. So when you talk about Greatness, there is no athlete in any sport that had as many records. When he retired, when Wilt Chamberlain retired, he owned over 100 records in the record book. I'm going to say that to you again. When Wilt retired, he owned over 100 records in the record book. So even since he's been gone, he still has maybe – 30 records or whatever, some that will never be approached. Never, never be, broken. yeah, never be duplicated, yeah. Sonny, how about the one that uh, is maybe stands out the most? You talk about the n- number of minutes he played. The reason was he didn't foul out. <laughs> never. Right. Fouled out one time in his whole basketball career. It happened in the old Baptist Church League. The person that was coaching the team, Will told me this story many, many years ago. He said the person that was coaching the team, an older person, said to him, if you foul out of a game, you're of no value to your team. Wilt is one of the most intellectual human beings you ever want to come in contact with. But, Sonny, that one time you went out was a very controversial. Uh, it wasn't just a, a plain foul out. What foul out? He never fouled out of a game. That's what I'm saying. He never fouled out of an NBA game. He never fouled out of a college game. He never fouled out in any game other than that game when the person in the Baptist Church League said to him, if you foul out, it'd be no value. 
How about Roger? that? Yeah, so I mean, I just – who are averaging 34, 35 minutes a game, and everybody's giving them credit for what's going on. Wilt's right, and they're not playing every night, game. Sonny. Bilt, let me say, Wilt's 46 minutes a game. Next to him is Bill Russell with 44, and next to him is Oscar Roberts with 42. Like wow. Guys today could not even exist with all the technology and all the stuff that's going on. They cannot stay on the floor. They average the best 36 minutes a game, maybe somebody 38, and they get they get lauded for that. Yeah. Sonny, with the problems hey. we have right now, I'd like you to just take a moment or two before our time runs out to yeah. talk about uh, what the uh, idea was and the concept of initiating the Sunny Hill League. I know you and John Cheney uh, were so involved in that. You're so concerned with young people in Philadelphia. Uh, what was the genesis of you two guys getting together and saying, hey, we're going to do something for the kids in Philadelphia? Well, actually, it's the Baker League. The Baker League mm-hmm. is the oldest summer professional basketball league in this country. We started that in 1960. John mm-hmm. Cheney is from South Philadelphia. So he had a guy by the name of Sonny Lloyd, who was an outstanding player. They had a team in the Baker League because when I thought about the idea and I went to my guys and I said, this is what I think we can do, because at that point we were saying, okay, where are you going to play tomorrow, Sonny? And I would say, well, we're going to play at Moreland, 25th and Dime. Where are we going to play tomorrow? We're going to play at Haddington, 57th and Harrisburg. So I thought of the idea that we had five, four different uh, areas that we like to play. So let's get people out of North Philadelphia somebody out of West Philadelphia, somebody out of South Philadelphia, and then it was a team that I had with uh, Ray Scott and myself. The great Harold Lear had a team along with Guy Rogers, and uh, there was a North Philadelphia fellow by the name of Herb Janey and uh, T. Parham. And that uh, was the beginning of the summer professional concept. And then later I went to uh, Mr. Eddie Gottlieb, who liked me, We needed 24-second clocks. Nobody had them. And he made sure that I got 24-second clocks and supported me all the way until he passed away in reference to what it is that he thought would be something great for basketball, which is the Summer Professional Basketball League. Roger? Well, I'll I'll tell you, Sonny, uh, you probably remember Ray Edelman that was uh, a coach with Nick Carter at Penn And uh, he was, when I was in high school, he was a coach and he had a a high school league in, uh, in Ardmore. And I tell these kids today where their parents pick them up and drop them off. I said, I wanted to play in that league. And my parents said, okay, you find your way to get over to Ardmore from Drexel Mm -hmm. Hill. And I did public transportation. But we, it was so great. I mean, you know, all the high school players in the area would play there. And, I mean, we just loved to play the game all the time. That's what it was. And, and then you, you did such a great job with uh, all these young people uh, in the uh, Philadelphia, not only in the city, but in the Philadelphia area uh, to, develop, to develop the uh, and, and the different programs you've had are just phenomenal. I mean, you know, you're a legend, and and thank well, thank let's, God let's, for let's you. Let's keep, a, 
what people don't understand, when I formed the Sunny Hill League in 1966, that was a league to mold young people into better human beings by using basketball. So people are asking me a question in reference to, you know, the basketball league and the great players and all that kind of stuff. I said it was never about basketball. It was about building young people and giving them an opportunity to have life after basketball. And that's where they, they fall by the wayside because they don't understand that when the basketball is over, it's time for you to go in the real world. And a lot of them are not prepared. We've touched over a million young people in reference to our program. And we also was a, was the genesis of women's basketball, which has now become so big. We had the first women's program as a part of the Sunny Hill League, and we also had a camp, Coach John Cheney and myself, and uh, we had that as a part of our program. So we did everything from the beginning to, to, to the end, but it's never about basketball. It's always about building character. It's always about helping young people to reach their dreams as Wilt was able to reach his, as I was able to reach mine, as John Cheney was able to reach his. You got to understand when John Cheney got the position at Temple University, and let's give Peter Lear Chorus a lot of credit. Don knows who I'm talking about. Great, great. Happened to be a Greek individual, but an open minded guy. And when he mm-hmm. brought John Cheney to Temple University, the other four schools in the Big Five were upset about the fact because they didn't want a black coach in the Big Five, and they were fearful that John Cheney was going to be get all of the top players. And at that time, the black players were becoming more a big part of what was going on in basketball. And uh, it didn't happen that way because John was not able to recruit that many top players out of the city of Philadelphia, which was sad because he was a high school coach here, legendary basketball player at Ben Franklin High School, one of the all-time great players in the Eastern Professional Basketball League, which is the weekend professional league. So we had all the credentials, and Don knows this, could not really get the really cream of the cream out of Philadelphia, and he got a couple of players outside of the area that helped his program, but he built it off of uh, just philosophy. Uh, Don, you know, know about this. No turnovers. Don, uh, John Cheney's team averaged no more than eight or nine turnovers a game. Ball precision, execution, everybody up at 6 o'clock in the morning for practice to the level that he became very successful at that level because he was already successful at Cheney State College prior to getting to Temple University. You're absolutely right, Sonny. Yeah, he came from Cheney, and you've got to give Dr. Peter Lear, of course, all the credit in the world. Of course, the sports uh, uh, center there on Temple University campus is now called the Lear Course. Uh, center with uh, terrific basketball and and uh, university facility, but more importantly, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, uh, you and I were working together. We went uh, 16 out of 17 years where we did NCAA tournament, or we were in the NIT. And only one of those 17 years was the NIT. We lost to St. John down in Richmond. Every other year we were in the NCAA tournament. John would play any team at any time. And uh, one of the great people of all time, and as you said, uh, his biggest difficulty at Temple was that uh, people didn't understand Temple. 
and uh, the big schools grabbed all the cream of the crop, and he had to manage uh, the secondary players, and uh, but his defenses, his operation, uh, what he did for those young men. He took young people out of Cincinnati, one fell out of, didn't have a mother or father or anything. I, I mean, John did more for people than, than anybody I know. I, I have to put it that way. Anybody, I, nobody knows what John Cheney did for these kids. One of one of his players, his name is Victor Kostopin. You remember him? Sure. He's the mayor of Hamden, New Jersey. Hmm. Is that the mayor of Camden? Yeah. He's the mayor of Camden, New Jersey, and has moved Camden, New Jersey, to a a very respectable, resurgent area. Terrific. Well, well, that's true. Yeah, and and continues that way, Sonny. You know, I think uh, they may have done it now. What, the transportation center uh, was going to be all new? And look at the business, Subaru. Campbell's Soup that's all over and, and well, the waterfront, the way. Because it's right there in Camden and uh, provided jobs going back to the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Well, the one example, Sonny, you know better than I, a uh, young man that wound up going to the University of North Carolina, and uh, he was over at uh, Temple University every weekend uh, working out and playing, and John thought he had a legitimate chance to, you know, to, to bring him into the program, which would have. by Rashid Wallace. Yeah, that's Rashid right. Rashid Wallace. That's yeah. exactly right. And Rashid uh, wound up going to North Carolina. And his coach, and his coach at Grant was a guy that was a, was mentored in Rashid Wallace, and it worked out well for him. He went to North Carolina, had a great season, and went to the NBA and had a long career there, very successful. But when you look at Philadelphia and all of the great players that we produced back in the day, not as many today as we did back in the day, the greatest player that John Cheney recruited out of Philadelphia and made his program is a guy by the name of Nate Blackwell. Mm. Mark Megan did pretty well. No, no, no. Mark Mark Macon, no, 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 no. Nate Blackwell built the Temple team because of what he did in, and, he, and, and two years, and a year later, or two years later, Howie Evans came in. And they had that great backcourt that didn't turn the ball over. Right. Now, when other players came in, he used what had started. And the reason I know about Nate Blackwell is Nate Blackwell is related to me, and I call Nate Blackwell's grandmother. And I said to her, I'd like to have Nate go to Temple. His grandmother, who ran the family, she said, Sonny, if that's what you want me to do, he will be going to Temple. How about that? (laughs) Well, thank you very much, Sonny. We're almost out of time here, but... Okay, uh, I think the last time last time we chatted, you told me thirty-seven years for the living room. Is that correct? Thirty-seven. We've been we've been on WIP with my radio show called The Living Room, and Don, you've been in the living room. I'll get you again. I've so have I, Sonny. Years. I've been in there too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thirty-seven years. I've never missed a show. Twenty. Sonny, Sonny, we're old school. We don't. So we're old school, Sonny. We don't <laughs> miss a day work. 
We, we're there That's every right. day of the show. <laughs> I never missed the show. And along with that, in 2024, it'll be my 55th year in broadcasting. From wow. CBS, where I did the NBA games, and then before that, WCAU with Andy Musser. You remember Andy Musser? Oh, yeah. Oh, great, great basketball play-by-play. Uh, Basketball and baseball. Yeah, and football baseball, with Charlie Gower. Football, basketball, he did all three. He did all yep. three. Sonny, I want to thank you very, very much. I hope all we right, get buddy. together again soon. And uh, I'm going to follow the 76ers. And you told me the last time the Celtics were still the cream of the crop, so I'll wait and see as the season unfolds. Well, let's look at the first 20 or 30 games. Or give us a barometer whether Hardy is going to be there, what style of play. And, and don't forget the East is loaded with uh, Milwaukee and Boston with the deals that they've made. So they're in the upper echelon of teams not only in the East, but teams in the NBA. So let's Sonny, I hope to Dante. see you in a game. Dante, you know, I love you. I love you. I love you show. Mike, Mike Schulte up next. Take care, Sonny. God bless. All right, buddy. I've enjoyed you as well. You take care, take partner. Care. Always, always fun. We worked together for a lot of years. Great partnership. All right, we've got to go. Sir, that's why you always say your terminology, partner. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> you, you got that right. Take care now. All take right, care. Okay, God bless. Bye. Frank, is Mike Schulte next? Yes, he is. Okay, then we'll, that'll be the next guest. We're going to talk a little for college football, obviously. Real request Bowl, he's the Bowl director. He joins us uh, almost every week now as we talk college football. And, boy, do we have some great games to be played this week. Uh, but, Mike, first of all, welcome to the show. I know college football is your life. And uh, last week, uh, some, some upsets and, uh, as always, some fun games. Yeah, well, every every as the saying goes, at least in our neck of the woods, we always say it's every week something that's going to happen you don't expect. And uh, sure enough, uh, we had some some interesting uh, uh, games this past week and some upsets, like you said, and some outcomes that were a little bit of a surprise. But uh, you know, hey, that's what makes it fun. That's that's college football. Um, you know, as, as one person said, I remember one time they said, well, that ball isn't round, so sometimes it bounces the wrong way. And uh, that's sort of, <laughs> it's hard to, hard to be predictable when you've got, a, you got a, a ball with two points on it. Yeah. Roger? A lot of truth to that. Well, a lot of truth to that, uh, Mike. And, uh, you know, I follow, uh, even though I moved, I'm still following the dogs. But, uh, you know, the dogs aren't getting the respect uh, – this year, and I think a lot of it's because of their schedule uh, and and lack of uh, bigger uh, names, schools, uh, you know, that they've had. But um, what what does it look like to you uh, at this point uh, as far as the uh, uh, top teams go? Do you think that they're right on as the voters as far as uh, who should be number one, two, et cetera, or not? Well, I, I, you know, my personal opinion is I, I think that, you know, the, the top five, maybe even the top six teams are all, you sort of all put them together. Um, it's hard to really delineate between them. 
Uh, and, you know, foot, foot, you know, college football is unique in that, um, you know, it's not like college basketball where you play tons of games, you play lots of common opponents and all that kind of stuff. So it's sometimes it's hard to, um, you know, to really compare apples to apples, if you will. But, you know, they're all really good teams. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure, you know, how I would rate, rank them at this point. You know, we're, we're halfway through the season, and the second half of the season is when you really separate the men from the boys and figure out who's really legitimately, you know, a top contender and who, you know, who just maybe, you know, is, is good, a really good team, but maybe their, you know, their non-conference, early non-conference schedule was a little misleading or what have you. So, uh, you know, we're going to find out here, especially in the next month um, of play, you know, who's, who's really for real at the top. Uh, you know, I, talking about Georgia, um, I, I think part of the thing there is we're so used to the last two years of seeing Georgia just be, just sort of have everything, right? And just, you know, there's just no weak spots with them. Um, mm-hmm. And they would just like, they would just, you know, cut right through their schedule. You know, they they whip up on the teams they were supposed to whip up on and they, and they, and then they beat the good teams too. And, I think the thing with them this year, and, and, and we've talked about this whole thing with the portal and NIL and everything else, you know, and the fact that, you know, they've lost, you know, because of them being so good last couple of years, they've lost so many NFL caliber players, you know, that, that have gone to the NFL. Um, and it's tough to reload sometimes. And, and, you know, so they, they, um, and they've had some injuries. They had injuries at running back early on that, that I think hurt their running game early. And here you got a you know new quarterback coming in, and you know and the run game's not really there like it was before for you know for Stetson Bennett, uh, like it was for him, and and so you know he had to sort of find himself, uh, relying on the passing game and and uh, as a new quarterback in the system, and um, and now they've they've lost Brock Bowers for the rest of the regular season at least it sounds like so. So, you know, they're just not they're just not at that level. I mean, the Kentucky game was really the only game so far that they played like everybody thought they were going to be this year. But the other games, you know, they, they're winning games, but they're just not winning, in, winning them the way everybody, you know, is used to them winning. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, with, with all that said, you know, I think they got the running back is back now. Um, and even with Bowers out, you know, they, they've got it a good enough team to win without him. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, and if he can come back in time for maybe, you know, if they get in the playoffs or, you know, postseason and that, you know, he, they might be all right there, but um, you know, it's it just, it's just, you know, like I said, they, they, they're still a very, very good team and probably top five team. It's just, you know, we just don't know, you know, exactly how good they are yet. Um, and, but like I said, they'll find out uh, in the next probably four weeks. Mm. Mike Schulze, our special guest this, se- this segment, and uh, Mike, of course, the director of the ReliaQuest Bowl. I've got to train you on this. It's ReliaQuest. 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 Of course, it, it uh, is right there in Tampa, Florida, has been, and has a great association with ABC, a great association with the sponsors. Uh, we talk about it week in and week out about the number of games that have been either overtime or right down to the final two minutes. And ReliaQuest Bowl has taken over the last couple of years and things picked up again again last year in January for the game there. But we got a terrific week this week, Mike, 
Uh, Ohio State, number one, uh, at Penn State would be my first choice. It's really a terrific, terrific game. Clemson against Miami after Miami's slub yep. last week. We're going to have to wait and see what they're going to do. And, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Florida State and Duke, uh, I think that's a little bit high. Uh, Florida State's a 14-point choice in that game. That might be a little high. Yeah, it's yeah. I think it's just again going back to Florida State as as maybe you know more quality wins so far, or at least they like you said they they have sort of like I was alluding to with Georgia last year, right? It's like you know Florida State has dominated uh, most of their games. Now they obviously had a really close game against Clemson, who's a good team, and they and they had probably a little bit of a letdown kind of game against Boston College on the road early in the year after the LSU game. But, um, but otherwise they've really, you know, they've really been in charge, you know, in each of their games. So I think, uh, I think folks are sort of looking at that and uh, they're not quite sure about Duke yet. Um, So I think that's why the spread's so big, but, you know, and it is at Florida state, I believe if I'm not mistaken, um, I I think it is. So, so, you know, that, that's probably the point spread there, but, um, yeah, it's going to be a good, uh, you know, it's a very important game for both of them, certainly. Um, the Miami-Clemson um, game, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a highly important game for both those teams. Uh, both right. teams uh, uh, with at least one loss they didn't count on this year, going into the year probably. And then, and and also, the, I think, I believe they both have two losses so far. So, you know, going from two losses to three losses, um you know, is uh, you know makes a big difference in regards to uh, things like you know uh, getting into well certainly the playoffs, but also um, you know conference play and and winning your conference and and uh, even what you know just what bowl game you get to. So that's going to be a really really uh, important game for both of those teams. Um, Ohio State, Penn State, you know obviously that's a you know that's a, a marquee kind of game you know, in any year. And certainly this year with both teams uh, being undefeated um, and, and they're in the same, you know, same division of, of their conference too. And so, you know, that's going to be a huge, huge um, game as they're, you know, progressing along uh, with Michigan, you know, down you know, at some point, you know, later down the road uh, at the end of the season, you know, to determine who's wins the, uh, who goes to the, the Big Ten Conference Championship? So, um, so really big games. I, I think there's a lot of other good games that are as well this week that are going to be out there um, and um, as well. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think I want to say LSU plays Ole Miss. Maybe um, I don't have the schedules in front of me, but um, you know, and there's a few other ones that are going to be um, you know very uh, important games. Uh, for the for you know the teams uh, involved, I know Auburn has an important game this week, so it's going to. They, they're the ones um, that play Ole Miss. Follow all these things. They're, they're the ones that play Ole Miss. Auburn. Oh, Auburn plays Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah. I think you know again. And they're that's six, a, that's six and a half point favorite. Yeah, I think that's going to mm. be a good game, uh, being close, and I think it. And I think again, it's a very very important game for both of those guys, and um, I think maybe LSU plays Missouri, and, and again Missouri. You know, has been uh, you know has a very good record. They don't have a really good early schedule, but um, they but they also you know they did do well um, against uh, against Kentucky. So we'll just have to see you know um, you know how that game goes with them. I think it's down in, in Baton Rouge. So 
So it's going to be uh, some really good games this week. Um, uh, a few few teams have have buys this week. I know Georgia and Florida have a buy. You know, getting ready for their their big matchup in Jacksonville next uh, a week from now. But uh, uh, yeah, still a lot of really good football out there, and and uh, it's been been fun to follow so far. Roger. Mike, you know, the uh, I'm a big uh, supporter and have a lot of interest for many, many years in high school uh, football. And I called Don on Friday night because uh, on ESPN2 was an absolutely great uh, high school matchup in Georgia, which I'm familiar with uh, both of those programs. Uh, and it was Buford and Mill Creek. And uh, the quarterback for Buford is the number one uh, – what they said, high school player in the country. And he's, hmm. I guess, committed to Georgia. And uh, But just to look at that and to enjoy that game, and uh, I'm very, uh, well, like I said, I'm very familiar. I've done some broadcasting of, uh, of uh, those uh, two schools. And, uh, and Mill Creek, but when you look at, like up here in, in the Philadelphia area in the suburbs, uh, like the pro, the school district I'm in now, uh, there's 1,200 uh, in the middle school, 1,200 in the high school. Well, Mill Creek, I was telling Don, they've got 12 to 1,400 in a class, and the uh, and then you can really develop uh, a program money, uh, and as you know, I'm sure you know you you know this. And that's what it takes, support and money. And uh, I, it was just a, a great game uh, to watch. Don, I don't know whether you got to watch any of it uh, or not. Yeah, I saw, but, I saw a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I just – I love high school football. And then when you see uh, so much talent in one game, and, I mean, if it had to be good or it wouldn't be on ESPN too, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. High school football, I really like uh, high school football. Um, in those situations, I, I think you know, here you know, I'm down here in Florida. You know, a lot of good talent comes out of Florida uh, high schools um, for football, but uh, but you know, unfortunately, uh, there's just that it just doesn't seem like there's that many. Um, well, it's just not like it used to be. Let's put it that way. As far as mm-hmm as far as fan support and, and support, you know, for these programs, um, you know, the, the, the money's, and this is all over the country, they, they, they you know, and, and this is a pet peeve of mine is like in high school athletics of every sport, really, you know, the, 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 the monies that have been appropriated for sports uh, in high schools has been cut so bad uh, over the decades, really. And, um, it's just like, a, it's just like no, nobody, you know, the administrations, the, the, the districts, the, the states, you know, they just don't seem to really care that much about it. And, and I know there's other priorities and so forth. Um, but with the amount of money, you know, that, you know, that they're getting, it's just so hard, um, for, for programs to function, uh, properly. Uh, the kids are not as motivated to play sports these days, especially, you know, uh, football. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I was watching our high school the other night and, you know, I'm looking at the, the team, you know, and somebody, and, and we were winning by a lot, 
Um, but, and someone made the comments, oh, they're going to put all the second stringers in. I was like, I don't know how many second stringers we actually got because there's only mm-hmm. about 10 kids standing on the sideline right now. You know, it's like, wow. it's like, you know, the, the, well, I mean, there might be more than that, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, after the, the starting 11 on offense and defense, you know, you only got about 20 more kids. It, it's just, they're just not, they're just not, um, there's just not that much interest uh, like it used to be, I should say. And so again, it's, it's hard to, to, it seems to me, and this is just my personal opinion, but you know, it's hard, you know, cause just a lot of football programs just aren't um, getting the support they need to and in all sports really in, in high school. I mean, there's so many of these sports. Um, I was actually the president of our booster club for our high school and, and uh, it's like dragging, you know, you got to drag, you know, parents to be involved in anything. You've, you've got, you know, uh, trying to raise money for the kids. You're, you're, you know, the, you know, half the sports, the kids are having to, you know, pay for their own uniforms and their own yeah. equipment and, and stuff, you know, and it's just, you know, and so it becomes a situation of, well, if you don't have the money, you, you don't play, you know, and, and, and so it, that's the, the negative part I, I just, that I've seen with, high school, but I know that's not what you were talking about, but it is, it is fun. No, it's, you know, when you can find programs that are getting a lot of support who, whose fans and, and parents and boosters, you know, are able to, or, or the County, whatever is, is putting money behind the programs and allowing, you know, kids to really have a great experience in high school, uh, you know, like they used to 30, 40 years ago and, and really be able to put out some, some great uh, entertaining uh, games and, and, uh, and, you know, and it just builds off of itself, you know, that, you know, when you do that, you know, the, the fans want to be involved, the, the town wants to be involved. It's something they can be proud of. And, uh, and, you know, the, and then of course that brings in more support sort of like in Texas, right? Friday night lights, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, you, you know, you go, the, you go to high school football in Texas and it's like going to going to a college game almost, you know, and and there, it's all about it's all about that. But it's just I wish I wish there was more of that you know throughout the rest of the country and certainly here in Florida where I live um, to have that kind of mentality um, because it it really does so much for the school and for the kids. And here in a day and age when you know when you know everybody's about you know being healthy and being active, you know young people being active and healthy and and so forth, you know, and then they go and cut you know, they cut the funding for the sports and it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Switching back to baseball for a second. Uh, the Astros now lead four, nothing service having a very tough time, uh, four home or four runs scored. And Altuve just hit a home run, which is his second of the series. So the Astros are on the board leading four, nothing. And we'll see what happens as this game continues. The Astros need a win. Uh, back to football for a second. Uh, <laughs> Roger and I are old enough. Uh, <laughs> We yeah, saw the Giants and the Eagles when uh, Herman Edwards picked up that loose ball and ran for, for a touchdown with no time left on the clock, and the Giants had the ball. Pizarczyk decided to hand it off rather than just kneeling down. We saw that in Miami. It's only two times in my lifetime I've seen something like that where a team had a game won by all st- – there's no way they could lose. And we saw two games in our lifetime, Roger, one at Giants right. Stadium with Pizarczyk, and uh, Herman Edwards and the other one last, last weekend with Miami. Have you ever seen any, anything like that? Well, that, yeah, that was that was pretty crazy, obviously. Um, but you know, it, you know, it, it, I mean, you 
that could have happened on any any of those last few plays, but but certainly, you know, uh, when when it happens at the wrong time like that, then it, it really sticks out, you know. But I will say the one one thing that people that's a little bit different from what the one you were describing um, with the with the Giants and the Eagles was that um, there was still you know, uh, an opportunity to win that game, and they let the other team drive down the field in what three plays. Uh, in 10 seconds, and including a long pass at the end, and it seemed like they were in a normal coverage defense instead of a prevent defense. Um, you know, you know, on the last play of the game, and they let the uh, let the receiver get behind them. Right? I, I just don't understand that part of it more so than than the uh, than the, the you know the fumble, uh, because you know you know the fact they did give up the game with the ball. You know, to to not be in a defense that you know on the final play of the game, it's like okay, just don't let them get a touchdown. Is your defense not not you know let's just play a normal straight up defense and then let the receivers go by your 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 secondary. Well, Mike, thanks again for another wonderful informative half hour with us, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, next week. We like Quest Bowl is the name of the bowl, and obviously Tucson or Tucson. Tampa, Florida. Tampa, 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 Florida. <laughs> Tampa, Florida. And uh, well, I'll tell you, we've we, right at least. We, we've had a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. over the last. We, we've had a lot of fun over the last years being there to see that game every year. So thank you very, very much. Frank, of right, course, guys. has a very good friend. It's going to be our next guest on the program. Brett Deitz is coming up, head football coach at Purdue. Uh, Southern Indiana. They are six and zero. Last year he was undefeated. This year he's undefeated. Won the conference championship. And Frank, maybe you'd like to say a word because he played for the Storm in in uh, uh, Tampa, Florida, for uh, a couple of years. And you guys have been pretty close friends. Do you want to say something before we get started with Brett? Frank. Hello, Frank. Well, we'll go right to Brett. Because <laughs> Frank and, and Brett have been uh, very friend, good friends for quite some time. And Brett played over in Europe for uh, the NFL over there. He played with the Storm in, in uh, Tampa, Florida. And uh, Brett, are you on the line? Well, I guess this one dropped out, too. Are you still there, Roger? I'm here, Don. I'm here. Well, you and I will hold fort until Frank tells us uh, we're ready to go with Brett. I thought hey, he said he Robert was on. But... And Don, it's Mike from D.C. I am not hey, nearly Mike as impressive as that. I'm not nearly hell? as impressive event as anybody you're talking about, but I'm here. <laughs> well, you're here, Mike. We're we're here too. And uh, Mike Simzak. <laughs> Mike Simzak, our guest. Uh, he's in the Baltimore, Washington area, he covers everything down in Baltimore, everything in Washington, and uh got to be a lot of disappointment about what happened uh, in Baltimore in uh, the playoffs. But uh, some of your thoughts on the, the games that are still remaining. The, uh, the Astros finally scored some runs. They're up 4 nothing in this game tonight. The Phillies have been uh, a dynamo team. Your thoughts? First, I got a vent. Last weekend was probably one of the worst sports weekends I've ever endured. Um, 
Listen, I had the opportunity to go out and watch the uh, Rugby World Cup quarterfinals between uh, Ireland and New Zealand with most of the Irish embassy. Uh, I've very rarely experienced heartbreak like I've experienced with those guys after Ireland lost. Um, That was rough. But anyway, um, yeah, it's nice to see Houston get back on the board and try and possibly make a little bit of a series of this. Um, The Texans have just been lights out. Like, if they lose tonight, it will be the first game that they've lost the entire playoffs. Um, Correct. As far as the Bills go, uh, hey, can we keep doing what we're doing and hopefully do it throughout the World Series when we make it there? Because last season was a little bit of a disappointment. I understand that they played the Astros, who are the best team in baseball. I think that they're still cheaters, but that's just my point of view. Um, I'm hoping that the, uh, the, the Phils can close it out and uh, win a championship, kind of like this was the 2007-2008 uh, playoffs. Uh, it was massively disappointing to be in Baltimore to see them in this area, to see them get swept. But at the end of the day, um, this was just a team in the O's that had not been in the playoffs. They don't have playoff experience. They were going up against a Texas team that had already played around. And even though the Rangers themselves haven't been in the playoffs in a couple of years, they have a lot of guys on that team that have been and a manager in Bruce Bucci who has been there and won that. And I think in the over the course of that uh, three-game series, that sweep, it really showed that, you know, when you have – consistency and manager and players who have been there, you have the advantage over a team that hasn't. One other thing before I switch over to Roger, and uh, your, your bailiwick has been soccer all these years that we've been together. Uh, the MLS, you've watched it all the way through. Uh, right now, you, you look at uh, what's happening in the East Cincinnati. Uh, what, uh, Philadelphia is uh, right now in third spot. Some of your thoughts right mm-hmm. now on the MLS and where the Philadelphia team stands and what's their possibility as the playoffs begin? Uh, listen, Philadelphia are the defending Eastern Conference championships. I know there has been some turnover in that team in between this year and last year. Uh, it showed a little bit in how they played. They weren't able to reach the level of consistency throughout the course of regular season that I hope that they would and that's why they find themselves in third not in first but this is a team that has won before they've won in the playoffs they got to the mls cup finals they know how to get there i think that the guys remaining in that locker room can rally up and say like look we're gonna have to go and win these games now the Disadvantage that they have versus last year was last year they played all their games at home. This year they're going to have to play games on the road. And that's going to be a different challenge, but I think they can meet it. Uh, it's 50-50 in Pickham whether they make it to the Cup, but 
even in third place, I think that the odds are in their favor that they can get there and do it again. I think the biggest story is that uh, Miami and Lionel Messi, despite what I thought might happen when he came midseason, they were not able to make that deficit up. And so Messi is not in the MLS Cup Finals. You will not see him. Uh, some of the players that they brought in to assist with him this year, I don't know if you'll see them next year. And so this could be an interesting thing to see how that Miami team develops. Um, they're going to be the one of the most interesting offseason storylines, and they're not even in the playoffs this year. Roger? Mm-hmm. Mike, uh, staying with soccer, um, the uh, you know Phillies uh, – game last night uh, uh, was uh, obviously a, a, a runaway, t- 10 to nothing. Uh, and, uh, uh, but also across the street, the Flyers uh, played, and, uh, mm-hmm. and they won 2 nothing. But I didn't know until today there was a soccer game at the link last night. Between Mexico and, and Germany. Yeah, and uh, that had to be a big draw. So here you are in South Philadelphia with all three venues having huge crowds in one night. Uh, I didn't even know this until I talked to teachers about it today. And uh, how did did they draw? Was it a a big crowd? Um. Well, we know that the Phillies game was sold out. We know that yeah. the Flyers home opener was sold out. Um, right. I believe Mexico and Germany was about thirty-five thousand, so the vet was, or the link was about fifty percent sold out. Um, that's a lot listen, of people in South Philadelphia at the stadium complex. And, and the thing, the thing that I don't understand is this: I understand. You can't schedule the Flyers for the Phillies in the playoffs, right? Like, you can't schedule when the Flyers um, set, when the NHL sets the Flyers schedule to know that the Phillies are going to happen to have a home game that night in the NLCS. Sure. I, I can forgive them on that one. What you can do is when you schedule this friendly in between Mexico and Germany, you do know that the Flyers' home opener is going to be that same night. Right. Yeah. I got to question the wisdom in deciding that you were going to host two events at two separate stadiums. Even without the Phillies being in town, you're going to draw about 55-plus thousand people down there. I just don't get the wisdom of doing that. Um, it just seemed like bad planning and it, it just uh, the lack of forethought there. I understand that you want to put money in Lincoln Financial Field, and one of the ways you do this is to host matches that aren't just the Eagles. But this doesn't seem like the smartest thing to do when not only do you have the Flyers' home opener happening literally across the street, but you also have 
this game's being played on uh, on Tuesday. You also have an Eagles game being played late, uh, on Sunday night. And to be honest, like, Sacker's going to tear that field up. And we're into the colder months where the field's not getting as much sun. I'm just wondering, like, you got to explain the wisdom of me uh, to me of having a midweek vet there. And I don't know if either one of you gentlemen know, does Temple play home on Saturday? They could, yeah. That's another point, yeah. I mean, you could have three major different events on that turf. To men, uh, to, actually, it depends on where – I don't know where Temple was Saturday. You, you, they played to that – or not at the set. They played uh, – you know, at, at the uh, the link the as link. well. So I don't I don't know whether they yeah. were home Saturday to be no, honest with you, or whether they were on the road. So either a they were home Saturday, and you're going to have a, a game Saturday, Tuesday, and Sunday, or even worse, you're going to have a game on Tuesday, Saturday, and Sunday. I just I I, I don't understand the, the wisdom of that. And somebody's going to have to explain that to me. I know that. The well, the Flyers, at, at least the Flyers, Mike, moved the game up to 6 o'clock so that uh, yeah. they weren't all starting at 8 o'clock. So that was now, good. I didn't, see the, I didn't see the crowd, Roger. What was the, what were the numbers for the, for the uh, Saturday game? Oh, for the soccer game? No, no, for the hockey game. Oh, no, no, no. We're it talking about last night, opening night last night for the Flyers. No, and, what and what was, was the said, numbers? It was a packed house over, you know, what twenty thousand, whatever. Oh, and then and then next and see the link had the soccer game Germany and Mexico last night, and that's what Mike was saying. It was thirty five to forty thousand there, and then forty five thousand at the Citizens Bank Park, all in one (laughs) night, Don. (laughs) I mean, talk about traffic. (laughs) Go ahead. Like I said, like I said, Don, I can't predict that the Phillies are going to make the playoffs when I schedule those games. I can't predict that the Phillies are going to make the playoffs, and I can't predict that they're going to have a home game on that particular night. I can forgive them having a Flyers home opener opposite um, a Phil's NLCS game. What sticks in my craw is the idea that you would schedule that Mexico-Germany game for the link of opposite Flyers home opener. I just think that was a bad decision. I I would agree with you. If I'll be honest with you, I didn't think watching the Philly game last night. I wasn't thinking in terms of what else was going on in South Philadelphia. I was primarily <laughs> interested in what was happening on the baseball playoffs. And uh, I knew that the uh, the Lightning, uh, uh, not the Lightning, but the Flyers were uh, ready to start the season. But I didn't really think about it last night. Did you, Roger, that they were playing at the oh. same base? Basically the same night or earlier, but but the same night. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that I knew, okay? But I I didn't know until today, Don, about Germany and Mexico playing at the link. And that's why I asked Mike, because I figured it was going to be a big crowd. I mean, the soccer people, you know, the fans, they're really going to come out for a match like that. And, I mean, as Mike said, it was thirty-five to 40,000, maybe more. I don't know. But just think of what the traffic was last night. Am I glad I wasn't at that game last night? I'd still be there. 
<laughs> you might be uh, uh, Roger. You might still be there next week. Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty sure, still <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure we're 24 hours after. I'm pretty sure that they're still going to be figuring out traffic by the time the Phillies get back to play over the weekend. Yeah. Um, well, Mike, what, like, what do we I, have I, to look forward to now on the soccer front? Let's start there because that's your belly. What What are you looking forward to uh, in the next week uh, in in the world of soccer? Um. So we are. Of course, we're getting into we're getting out of an international break. The U.S. lost to Germany. They beat Ghana. Uh, we're going to go back into the club soccer. The MLS playoffs are going to start over the weekend. Uh, in European soccer, we're about uh, we're, we're, we're seven eight weeks into the season, so there's a lot of good games coming up uh, over the weekend. You're, you'll be able to catch uh, a variety of them on Peacock, has the Premier League, uh, ESPN, if you're on ESPN Plus, they have the Italian League and the German League. There's a lot of good games there. Um, Paramount Plus has some of the Scottish coverage. Uh, It is not this week. It's coming up in a couple of weeks. But, gentlemen, if you ever want to watch a game, Celtic is going to play Rangers. Um, for my money, this is high in the running. Probably one of the top three best rivalries in all of sports. It is religious. It is political. It is ethnic. It is the Scottish versus the Irish. It is Protestant versus Catholic. It is everything that you want to see in a sports game played out four times on a soccer pitch. Absolutely love it. If you can wake up at 7.30 in the morning when that when the old firm Derby comes on, absolutely right. wa- uh, worth a watch. I just love it because it's the only game in Scotland that you're going to see where there is not a single Scottish flag that you will see. You will see the Union Jack. You will see the English flag. You will see the Irish flag. What you won't see, Scottish flag. Wow. Isn't that something? Mike, once again, a good segment. Uh, thank you very, very much. We'll look forward to next week, and we'll see you uh, get some of your predictions of how these things are all going to turn out, and we'll go from there. Thank you. Hey, Mike, all have right, a great week. To it. Take you care, too. buddy. Thanks, Mike. Bye. We switch our attention back also now to Washington, Baltimore, where Doug Hamilton is always standing by, our PGA professional. Suzu uh, Golf is the only tournament going on, and that's over in Japan, a 7,079-yard course, and uh, the championship course. But there's not much golf news in the United States right now. Over there, it was, it was big news when, when Tiger was playing and some of the other big-time players. But uh, this time, it's a, sort of a quiet group playing in that tournament, and we'll have to wait and see whether it gets much, uh, much ache or not. But... Uh, what else is happening down in your area, Doug Hamilton? Yeah, I mean, listen, I uh, always enjoy being on the show. Um, you know, a couple minutes that I get the chance to speak with Frank and, and uh, you know, catch him up on some different things. And, you know, I've always appreciated uh, listening to you, Don, and, and Roger, and your many years of experience, you know, with microphones or interviewing people or, on, you know, TV, radio, et cetera. So it's been a tremendous help, I think, for me. Um, 
You wouldn't know it all between last week and this week. We had a few little glitches along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you guys cover that pretty good. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's about the adjustments you make. And, I, I mean, listen, I've given my share of lessons where, you know, I kind of have it in my mind how this is supposed to go, but it doesn't generally go always that way. And you have to be able to kind of think on your feet a little bit and and, uh, and make some changes. Um, you know, that being said, I think, you know, uh, making the switch from the operational side of golf um, to the full-time teaching aspect. I mean, there's still, particularly in this area, I mean, we had a fairly mild winter last year, but but this um, this season, I'm, my guess is we're probably going to get a little more snow this year than we did last year, just based on the dryness of the summer. But uh, there's still some really good golf time left this season in the middle Atlantic. And, um, you know, I'm strongly encouraging as many people as they can to continue playing golf as long as they can. I mean, I know we're going to run into some daylight, you know, issues in another couple of weeks with daylight savings time. Um, you know, but there's, it, it's a nice crisp morning. It, it evolves into, um, you know, a, a warming period between that kind of 11 and three or four o'clock range. And, um, you know, just, this is a great time of year to continue playing and taking lessons and practicing and getting outside and, and doing all the things that we do. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's not a lot going on from a tour standpoint, but from an amateur standpoint, you know, that's, that's the thing. Um, it's not time to hang up the, the clubs just yet. Rain on weekends has been the problem, right? Doug? Oh, geez. Saturdays have been just a catastrophe Awful. with weather here. And this Saturday's going to be another one. This is going to be another disaster well, Saturday. And yeah. yeah. I don't Houston just scored again. Them. They're now in the fourth inning, and Houston's up five to nothing now over Texas. Yeah. Go ahead, Doug. I was going to say, I don't know anything that you all don't know, but um, the way my schedule was set up, I didn't I didn't have it. I don't teach on Saturdays anyway, which, is, which has been good, because otherwise I'd have to, you know, contact a bunch of people and reschedule and cancel and do all these things. But what I can tell you is – uh, Braden's been playing in a flag football league. I was telling Frank, and gosh, I've held a lot of umbrellas on Saturdays watching him play. And uh, you know, I guess as a sidebar, um, I've broken out the uh, the rain pants, the uh, rain jackets, the bucket caps, and and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're if you're playing golf, it it always makes sense to make sure that you have the right gear. And once we get into this you know portion of the season where it does start to get a little cooler. You know, wearing layers is is an important thing. When I say layers, I mean, you know, efficient layers. I mean, you know, there's, I mean, gosh, I, I mean, my dad's going to laugh when I was uh, playing baseball and stuff like that. I mean, we didn't have Under Armour. We didn't have base layers. We didn't have, you know, the kind of comfortable materials that you can wear and throw vests on and throw quarter zips on and, and those sorts of things. Um, right. You know, so just dressing efficiently as it gets cooler. And usually the people that are the best dressers are the ones that ski because they know how to layer up. You don't really want bulk. You want to be able to still be able to move and, and, and do different things. So, you know, wearing – I like silk as a base layer. I like um, certain types of um, comfortable wools as a base layer because they're closer to skin fitting, but they're also comfortable and warm, and you can you can place a couple things on top of each other and – you know, wearing vests is important because you get your arms free. Uh, the ski cap is an essential once it gets a little cooler, uh, keeping the heat in. But, yeah, just simple little tips like that I think are efficient. Roger? 
Doug, you know, you talked, you uh, just mentioned about that you've uh, transferred uh, from uh, running a, uh, a country club golf course uh, to uh, training. Uh, do you miss the operation aspect of it? I know it's a lot of time, a lot of effort. Sure. Um, but uh, do, do you miss it at all? Um. Gosh, I can tell you that um, there was a there was a PGA professional that called me um, shortly after um, I was asked to leave Hayfield's Country Club, and he said, "I want you to basically take one to two weeks and just kind of just do nothing, decompress, you know, wh- whatever it is that you want to do that really doesn't involve doing much of anything." Mm-hmm. And I want you to understand that when you wake up every morning, you're going to have a you're going to have the first thought in your mind, and I want you to pay attention to that first thought. And I can tell you that every single day since that day that I was asked to leave Hayfields, and then even through the Woodhome concept, there hasn't been one morning that I've woken up and said, "Gosh, I really wish I had that job again." Mm-hmm. You know, so I think I think that. Um, by and large, the um, the politics, the 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 red tape that you have to go through to make certain decisions, the presidents, the GMs, the boards, the committees, the minutia of you know, because it's certainly my opinion, and again, my dad's going to laugh at this, but I've never been a yes man. Um, you know, I, I think that when country clubs hire PGA professionals, they need they need to let them do their job and stop micromanaging them. And they mm-hmm. need to give them the resources they need to produce whatever results, you know, are agreed upon. I mean, I, I may not get to the finish line the same way you would, you know, but that doesn't make my methods wrong. Right. And so many people, and, and the worst part about it is you get a lot of these country clubs that, that have GMs and most of these GMs are food and beverage guys. So they don't know anything about golf. They only know, you know, how to run a restaurant and how to do catering and how to do banquets and how to do, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's just, you know, the the last three years of my operational, you know, world was a catastrophe with people who didn't know what they were doing. But in many cases, it's like I tell my son sometimes when I'm making dinner and he says to me, he says, Dad, can I help? And I'm like, the best help you can be is to get out of the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're the you chef. Know, in many cases, right? I mean, in, in in many cases, that's the way that it is. Is to say, look, man, we're all on the same team, but what I need you to do is stand on the sideline for this portion because I got this. I'm running this. I know what I'm doing. Get out of my way. Let me do it, and you know, let's go from there. So no, I don't. I don't miss it a bit. And I tell you, um, I mean, I miss. Unfortunately, I miss the paycheck that I got from the last job mm. because it was. It was a nice, it was a nice paycheck, but sure. But what I've gained, what I've gained in the interim of this is I've gained a quality of life that I didn't really think was possible to 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 be in the golf business, which is to spend more time with my family, to have more quality time to do some of the things that I want to do. And you know, look as a as a parent, you want to watch your kids grow up. I mean, to me, not teaching on Saturdays and having the ability to watch Braden play baseball or watch him play flag football to me is is worth well more than you know the the 10 to 12 hours I was going to put in at the country club level to to miss that opportunity uh so 
you know, so let me ask you this: uh, with the yeah. with your present uh, uh, decision you made to go into teaching, um, mm-hmm. are you uh, available now to? Because we at this time of year we always talk about the new equipment coming in. Uh, yeah. What companies you thought were were bringing in something that was a little bit special? Uh, do you still have uh, uh, access to all the new equipment and everything that's going on in the world of golf? Yeah, I mean, listen, at, at, again, at that country club level and, and understand that um, when I was at Woodhome, I owned my own golf shop. So I had firsthand knowledge meeting with sales reps on a regular basis of the newest, latest, greatest. Um, I'm a little bit out of that arena now in the sense that I don't meet with sales reps anymore. I mean, I still keep in contact uh, with some of them, but, um, you know, for instance, I'm a Titleist staffer and I can tell you that the Vokey wedges, I've always played them. They're the greatest wedges that I that I think exist in golf. But, you know, there's other good wedges. I understand that. But the SM10, which is the newest, latest, greatest version of, is slated to come out in another couple months. I know that they've just unveiled um, their new irons. They have the T100s, the T200, the T350s. I mean, so what I do is I, I set up different fitting days uh, so that these um, – you know, manufacturers can bring their fitters to whatever facility I'm at, which currently is at Laytonsville in, in Maryland here. So, you know, we'll set up five or six appointments. People can sign up online. They come out. They get fit. They want to buy stuff. Um, it goes through the shop, you know, all those sorts of things. So, you know, Don, my hope is that next year, um, you know, we can get some some better resources for me to – have demo clubs to have, um, you know, my own types of fittings that I can walk people through these things. Cause I can't tell you how many times, like particularly at Laytonsville, I'll, I'll give a short game lesson to a guy on chipping or pitching and I'll look at his wedges and I'm like, Holy moly. Like, you know, we don't have, we don't have, you know, you're, you're looking at this screw and the screw has a plus on it and you're holding the minus sign in your hand and this isn't going to work. You know what I mean? So, right. um, you know, there's, you know, I, I haven't been to the PGA show in, in many years, um, you know, and that's, you know, one of the times where you'll see a lot of these new products that are that are doled out to people to try and to look at and do all these different things. So I'm a little far removed from that, um, but I'm not so far that I can't still be a part of it. How well, how far of an area do you uh, <laughs> want to – do you travel now? Do you uh, would like to mm-hmm. travel uh, in the future – uh, to expand yeah. your training. Well, I <laughs> I saw most of Montgomery County this year, um, mm-hmm. and to be honest with you, I I didn't give Montgomery County uh, the credit that I think that it deserves because I didn't know what it all had to offer. I mean, there's reservoirs, there's hills, there's mountains, there's country, there's I mean, there Montgomery County is a little bit more diverse in terms of its landscape than I thought it was, and you know, if you start like for instance, I teach at Little Bennett, which is about 15 minutes from my house. Um, there's a nice campground, a park. I mean, there's all kinds of things that that encompass Little Bennett. Um, then I'll go. Laytonsville is about 30 minutes or so from the house. But I've been, I've been as far as uh, Falls Road, which is Potomac. I've been to to Northwest, which is like Olney. Um, so there's, you know, I've seen most of Montgomery County this season, and I understood that the first year that I did this that I would probably have to travel a decent amount to cover uh, either certain classes or camps or things that maybe were less desirable for some people to do. Um, sure. But it was a great chance for me to get myself going, you know, hopefully moving forward. 
I can kind of encapsulate that a little bit more and stay a little closer to the house. Um, but, you know, look, I'm one of several instructors that, that work for the academy, and if they need me to go to Poolsville or different places, um, I'll, I'm happy to do that. You know, it's just expands my client base. You know, that's not a problem. What do you think, Doug, about the golf scene right now between the PGA and uh, are they really going to merge? Is there going to, what's going to happen? There's still a controversy following the Ryder Cup. Uh, People weren't too happy about that. Right. Golf is sort of in a little bit of a turmoil, which we've never seen in the last 15 or 20 years. Sure. I mean, I think it's, um, it's always nice when you when you wake up and, and you have a certain itinerary in front of you that you can follow to know what your day is going to look like. Um, you know, in that landscape of golf, I think that you have a little bit murky water there of the possibility of a merger and, and how that could possibly look. Uh, but you have some people involved that, you know, you've, you've got a lot of hands in that pot. And, you know, you've got obviously the, the Saudis and, and Liv, and you've got the PGA Tour and all the, the players that exist there. You've got the government, which wants to stick their hand in there to, you know, try to regulate some of that. Um, you know, in reference to the Ryder Cup, I think that that was just a total catastrophe with the United States and, and, and how they played and how that team was formulated in the picks. And, you know, there's some level of uncertainty there, um, you know, to that future. So um, as we kind of close down this, this season, maybe they'll, you know, come together and, and figure out a plan moving forward to, to streamline a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, I, I was widely disappointed in, in the Ryder Cup and, and lack thereof of, to my opinion, you know, uh, the ability to view it. And then you look at uh, some of those captain's picks, I think, that, that Zach Johnson made, um, questionable. Uh, so that, that process is still, um, it's defined, but it, it, it may not be the right process. So they need to take a hard look. Now, let, let me ask you this. As a PGA, as a PGA professional, Mm-hmm. Uh, do you do you as a group have any vote or any input at all in what the uh, pressure being put on, whether it's a merge, whether not to merge, whether to dump the whole thing? Do you fellas have any pressure, any input at all? Well, I mean, there's roughly twenty eight ish thousand PGA members, but I mean that's that's more of local governance. Um, you know, I mean, any, anything that we would have a say in would be, um, you know, like I'm in the middle Atlantic section, so I can attend, you know, some of those meetings and I have the ability to, the, the ability, if you want to, to vote for uh, individuals that would comprise our board or our presidents or, or those sorts of things and even filter down a little closer to, you know, there's the northern chapter, the central chapter, the southern chapter of, of that same middle Atlantic section where, again, you have the ability to vote for Individuals. I mean, I, I served on our northern chapter board for two years as a board member. Um, you know, so there's certain things that you can do at the local level, but on a national level, the expectation is that you pay your dues, and that's about it. Roger? Yeah, that's uh, interesting because it's more like a, um, a local, uh, like a rotary club, Kiwanis, uh, with your uh, local membership, and uh, and then if you want to go to the national convention, then you have more of a say in in the voting uh, for and yeah. you know rules changes things like that. I guess. Yeah, I mean that's you know if you if you break down you know how the government you know works and you've got all the different you know levels of the government, it's it's the same thing. I mean I can 
find my Frederick County congressman or, or council member and say, hey, look, you know, I think we need more street lamps. But, I mean, that doesn't affect, you know, what happens in Washington, D.C. for any stretch of the imagination, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's the, the PG of America has long since been kind of a good old boys club that comes from top down. Um, you know, we, we pay our dues. We um, expect that the PGA of America gives us opportunities to continue our education and, and you know, whether it's you know, tournaments that they sponsor or, or different things. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that look at that for insurance purposes, for different, you know, concepts that are, I mean, they've, they've rolled out uh, basically a retirement program recently that's, that's pretty cool. If you participate in certain programs, you gain points. If you get to 200 points, you get like a deferred concept that you get your buy-in and you get a, a, a piece of the pie in terms of your retirement. Um, so that's new. That's, that's a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, so there's some good things going on there. Doug, uh, let me ask you this because uh, Jack Nicholas and several others have been long-time proponents of changing the ball. And uh, mm-hmm. I talked about the SOSO tournament uh, that's going to go on this weekend in, in uh, Japan. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, all the writings are about the players that hit the ball the furthest mm-hmm. and what a distinct advantage they have on this golf course at 7,000 yards. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, do you think that's ever come to, going to come to a reality that they're going to change the ball <sighs> so that you're not hitting the ball 325 yards, 340 yards, or whatever? Yeah, I mean, it's a, that's a struggle. You've got, you know, all these companies that are technology-based that are trying to, uh, for the amateur level, you know, ensure that, that people can have more fun playing the game because they're hitting the ball further. Um, but, you know, I, I I mean, will it happen? Probably, because you're running out of real estate. You can't make these golf courses any longer. You know, it's it's the way that it is. So if you want to have any kind of fairness to the game, you would have to regress the ability of how far they hit it. But in my mind, you're going to say that because Doug Hamilton's good and he can hit the ball 325, you're going to penalize him by changing golf balls so that everybody falls into the same slot of hitting it, you know, however far they hit it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't see that as the right move to make, Um, you know, but I mean, you look at, you look at, you look at sports in general. I mean, is it fair that the New York Yankees have a gazillion dollar payroll and the Orioles don't? I mean, so yeah. it, it just depends on how you look at it. Um, I, mean, I, I, yeah, I disagree with it totally. I mean, that, that would be my opinion. Roger? Well, the uh, I think we're probably getting tick, tick, tock, tick, tock, aren't we, uh, Frank? Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah. You know, I just, uh, that's why I was asking about uh, you expanding uh, your uh, training area, uh, because I think there's a lot of uh, clubs out there and individuals that uh, could really find your service of value. And, uh, you know, it'd be opposed to somebody driving to find me. I mean, whether it's West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Virginia, wherever. Uh, yeah, I'd be delighted to help them, um, but I'm, I only have. Well, how would they get in touch with cover. you? Let, let's do it that way. How do they get in touch yeah. with you? Yep. So go ahead, the website go ahead. where they would find me: www.thrivesports. T H R I V Sports backslash Doug Hamilton. That would be the best way. There we do go. that again. Do that again slowly, because most people aren't sitting around with a pencil and paper. So right. Yeah. Just it's, take, it's take your time and do it slowly. 
Yep. The platform we use to schedule our lessons is called Thrive Sports. So it's www.thrivesports backslash Doug Hamilton. And that way it goes directly to you. And I'll take uh, it directly to my booking site. You can see what I have to offer. You can read the 20-something, you know, reviews of people that they've, you know, I've given lessons to that have left, you know, good, good positive information. Um, you know, there's, that's the best way to find me. That, that'll take you directly to my booking page. Excellent. Either, either Excellent. there or in a third base box during the Royals game, or during the uh, right. Orioles game. Yeah. Sure. Any, yeah. Any Orioles game, you're sitting in a box by third base, right? Uh, <laughs> man, uh, as long as I'm in the stadium, I don't care where I am. Those seats in Camden are all good. <laughs> well, well, Doug, you know, I meant to say this last week. When, you know, they were talking about uh, improvements to Camden Yards and when the yeah. Orioles were talking about moving. It's hard to believe that Don and I were on that site under construction and got a tour of the site and they gave us hard hats to wear. We were on our way to D.C. to RFK uh, Stadium to uh, do an Eagles uh, a game, a Redskins mm-hmm. at that time game. But we we were there with hard hats on, right, Don? At Camden Yard. When it Yard. all started, when it all started yeah. at Camden Yard, we were right there. Yep. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> So, and I, I do, uh, you know, I think it, on all fairness, every ballpark at a certain time needs to have a little uh, refreshment. And uh, I haven't been in Camden Yards for quite some time now, to be honest with you. So I, you'd be in a much better position, Doug, than I would be. Uh, some of your observations, uh, does it need to have a, a, a good deal of modernization or not? Mm, no, I mean, I think they, it's an iconic type park, and I think they want to keep the feel of, of old school. I mean, what they're going to probably do is 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 fool with some of the maintenance type things they need to. But I think, by and large, that overarching concept there was that they were going to try to revitalize some of the outside areas of the surrounding concepts of the of the stadium, make it more friendly, make it safe, probably fool with parking. You know, obviously, we can always do things with scoreboards, with lights, with you know, all those sorts of things. So. I don't think there's anything right. major coming down the pike, but I just think they want it to be a more complete experience for fans. Like they've done your it as well. Boy, uh, they, 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 uh, they, they, last week, they, they drop one, but they squeak them out. Harbaugh uh, <laughs> finds a way to win some way. <laughs> he, he does. It's it's pretty painful to watch, uh, you know, some of the endings of those games when you have a lead and they've given up so many and it doesn't seem like they just, you know, their, their bullpen's not as good as the Orioles in terms of closing out games. But I think, no, I was happier this Hamilton and uh, some of those. I hope. Well, keep decisions. your uh, keep your uh, uh, billboard available next week, and we'll put it on again in case people would like to have a yep. pen and pencil on hand when you're on with us, sure. and uh, yep. they can write it down. But we'll do it uh, next week a couple times as well. Yep. Thank you very much. You got it. Yeah, man. Have a great week. My pleasure. Uh, okay. Take care, Don. Frank. Frank Carroll's got it right now. Take care, boys. Thanks a lot. Have a great Thank week. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation, the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services, when you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please, these are very tough times for gentlemen and ladies in uniform. Please acknowledge and let them know you know they're there. To, to offer, again, to the Philadelphia Police Department, to offer their, offer their Mendez's family, 
we send out our deepest sympathy and uh, hope the days will get better for you. Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999 has responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul and all the soul. Good night, Bob. We love you.